If you have your Bibles with you, um, I would encourage you to open them up to John chapter 12, where you can also follow along in the bulletin. So we're returning to our series in John's Gospel. And here we begin Jesus' last week. And for the rest of John's Gospel, it's focused on one week. John really slows things down over the next nine chapters. Notice the opposition against Jesus and the devotion for Jesus are both on the rise. Truth opposed and truth embraced, you could say. Animosity and admiration. And here, only days before, you might remember, Jesus' good friend Lazarus was sick, and then he died. And he was dead in the tomb, stinking for four days. And Jesus had not only resurrected Lazarus, he also comforted his friends, Mary and Martha. Have that in the back of your mind as we're looking at our passage. Have you ever heard of the name uh, Rosie Ruiz? Or Rosie Ruiz, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. In 1980, she posted a two-hour and 31-minute Boston Marathon time, setting a record for females. Just for those of you who don't know how to do quick math, that's running 26.2 miles without stopping at a pace of 5 minutes and 45 seconds per mile. There's only one problem. She didn't do it. She cheated. She thought she could get away with it. She was a good runner. But she jumped out of the crowd for like the last mile and sprinted to the finish. Why in the world would she do that? Why would she cheat? Why would someone lie about something? To always get what you most treasure. You will lie and you will cheat to protect it. What drives elite athletes like a Michael Jordan? He was, I've been watching his, that documentary series on Michael Jordan, and it's absolutely fascinating. What drove Michael Jordan to completely give everything he had to get the treasure? I know some of you here this morning, you don't follow Jesus. A friend brought you here. You're a family member. You're curious. You have questions. I want to lay before you. Whether you would say you believe in God or not, all of us have a treasure that is driving us. All of our belief, all of our behavior, all of our imaginations. What is that for you? All right, with that, let's look at John chapter 12. I'm going to read the, ver the first three verses now, and I'm going to get to the, the, the uh, rest of the passage a little bit later. John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let's pray together. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this opportunity. I pray that you might send your spirit to speak through me. I am just a man. I have no power. I have no abilities in and of myself. I need to get out of the way and let you speak through me. All of us need to hear from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago when we were living in San Antonio, Texas, I remember that there was a missionary that was coming through town and we did, one of the members of our church hosted a support raising dessert where probably 20 to, to 30 different people came. The missionaries talked about the work that they were doing in Central America and the needs for prayer. And then at the end, he gave an appeal uh, for people to give what they have to support the missionary um, endeavors that they were doing in Central America. And so he just left a little basket on a table and just said, there's no compulsion, there's no pressure, but it will be here if you'd like to give. And I remember sort of chit-chatting, having a cup of coffee with people, and then just sort of looking out of my periphery, people putting checks, you know, people putting cash in there. And then I remember seeing a kid who couldn't have been older than like seven years old, kind of looking around, waiting for the coast to be clear, and he just simply quietly put a couple of pennies in that basket and scurried away upstairs out of sight. That experience, I didn't tell anyone that, I didn't talk to the kid, I didn't tell the missionaries about it, but that experience really left a mark on me. Because here he is, this, this kid, seemingly embarrassed about only leaving a couple of pennies in that basket to support this missionary when all the other people are giving hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And yet, that was not a moment for embarrassment, friends. That's a moment for joy. God delights to receive all of our devotion, no matter the amount. Whether the devotion is pocket change, whether the devotion is a silent prayer on a morning commute to the office, whether our devotion is a day of faithfully worshiping Jesus, even through endless meetings for your job, or simply an ordinary February Sunday morning like today. Jesus loves to receive our devotion. We bring him what, he, what we have. That's the whole point. We simply bring him what we have. Not because God is insecure or he needs to fill any lack in himself. He created the heavens and the earth. He's complete in himself. And yet, God delights to receive our devotion from his children. Even when the tokens are small. Even when our heads are distracted, even when our hearts are fickle, even when our hands are weak and frail, God is delighted to receive our devotion when we give him simply what we have. Mary is giving us a beautiful picture. I have been so excited to preach this sermon this morning because I love this passage. 
Mary's a beautiful picture of devotion as she simply gives Jesus what she has. A devotion that is driven by delight in the one that she treasures. So I want us to look at this passage in, from two different sides. First, I want us to look at the extravagant devotion. First, did you notice the place? Where is Jesus? Where are they? Well, according to chapter 11, verse 54, if you have your Bibles, Jesus and his disciples were staying in a town called Ephraim near the desert because they had to wait for the heat to cool down in Bethany because when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it made quite a splash. So they're hiding out in Ephraim, but now they're heading back down to Bethany in chapter 12. But now he's here, back into danger. Is there a more fitting place for Jesus to rest on the Sabbath before he embarks on the most important week of his entire life? He's amongst his friends that know him. Palm Sunday was the very next day, chapter 12, verse 12. Notice the place, but also notice the party. Jesus decided it was best to be with his family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. His friends, his brothers and sisters in Christ, three single people who he loved dearly. How many times have you shared a meal with the friends who really get you and know you? What is that like for you? Have you ever shared a meal with family and friends just before you were moving across the country or making an important move? Who do you want to be with? Which friends would you run to on the eve of the hardest week of your life? Of course, Martha is there, and what is she doing? She's serving, just like what she does in Luke chapter 10, right? But maybe this time with a little more delight, a little bit less drudgery. And look, there's resurrected Lazarus there, said to be reclining at the table, enjoying himself. His very life, an expression of Jesus' love for his friends. And of course, there's Mary the third sibling who's at the party, with her extravagant devotion to Jesus. What does she do? Notice the present. She brought out 16 ounces of a fragrant, priceless oil called nard that was worth $12,000 to $15,000. That's about what the 300 denarii is worth. Priceless for her. Perhaps it was some sort of family heirloom that was passed down. Perhaps, as one scholar said, it was her 401k. Who knows for sure? We know that it was extremely precious and valuable to her. Mary was looking for anything to give back to the one who loved her so much. The one who comforted her, remember, with her tears. The one that Jesus wept with. In the face of Lazarus' death, this is that same Mary. The one who miraculously resurrected her only brother. 
How could she not give Jesus what she had? Notice the presentation. It says that she pours out the expensive ointment on Jesus' feet. And it says that Mary takes down her hair and gently wipes his feet with her hair. We need not read in any impure motives on Mary's part. Jesus simply receives her love and her devotion. To let down your hair in that time was not looked upon positively in mixed company. Perhaps her extravagant devotion was seen as indecent or even improper. It was the rabbi's feet after all. Mary's extravagant behavior in mixed company would have probably made the other guests feel a little bit uncomfortable, kind of looking around at each other. That's a little too intimate, Mary. That's a little too emotive, Mary. That's a little bit too much. Jesus did not share that opinion at all. He loved it and he received it. The fragrant aroma of Mary's devotion, John says, it fills the house. Lazarus has been raised. Martha has a renewed sense of service. And Mary was comforted by the tears of Jesus. No one can do this other than God. No one can bring these stories together. But can you see yourself at the party on that night as well? As we sit alone, perhaps, in silent prayer before our God some mornings, before the sun even rises, can you see yourself savoring the scriptures with friends in a small group? And even this morning, as weary and wounded, wounded saints gather, our devotion rises as a pleasing aroma, as hundreds of stories are woven together into God's family. Can any one man do that? Mary simply gives Jesus what she has. Mary simply wanted to say thank you. She is not preoccupied with her reputation or what people think about her or whether she's too much or too emotive or too passionate. She doesn't care about her reputation at all. See, Mary's devotion shapes our time of worship this morning, doesn't it? There's a lot of ways all of life is worship, we could say. But even this morning, as we've gathered, gathered worship is about our hearts and the object of who we worship. It's not about the clothes that you have on your back or the kind of shoes that you're wearing. It's not about whether you graduated from high school or whether you have a Ph.D., it's not about whether, whatever your background or your past is. It's not about the forms of worship or your preferences or whether we have organs or guitars or whether we do responsive readings or more of a free form. We simply want to bring what we have to the one that we love. It's a matter of the heart. We worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. God, how would you like me to worship you is a really great question for us to ask. 
And Bible, the Bible gives great guidelines and principles and directives. But friends, let's just simply bring in what we have this morning. And if you're coming in limping this morning, if you feel like all you can give are a couple of pennies, give him what you have. Who knows what he could do? Jesus talks about this precious ointment being utilized for his burial. Did you notice that? Why didn't Mary use that expensive ointment for her brother Lazarus? If she had been holding on to it, if it was precious, think about this principle. Only God deserves our costliest devotion and most passionate adoration. Not your health, not your finances, not our hobbies, not our friends, and not even our families. Not even Lazarus. Before we transition to the second point, let's just pause and think about how this might apply to us this morning. One of my friends has a quote, I love it, and it's so applicable. He says, you do what you do because you love what you love. He's from the South. You do what you do because you love what you love. We spend our imaginations, our planning, our money, our abilities, and our time investing what we truly love into what we truly treasure. Where are you investing your resources? Are you respected? Are you secure? Are you comfortable? Are you powerful? Those are oftentimes the diagnostic questions that really drive what we treasure. I must be secure. I must be powerful. I must have control. I must have comfort. And I will do whatever it takes to ensure I have it. You do what you do. I do what I do because I love what I love. What do you love? It's not about the amount. It's about giving him what you have. With such extravagant devotion, what happens? What's the reaction? What does Jesus do with this action that Mary engages in? It's an extreme reactions on every side. Look at verse 4 and following. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because Judas cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. He was stealing. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowds of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only account of him, who also, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. What were the extreme reactions? Let's start with Judas. Judas and the chief priest 
hated the fact that devotion to Jesus changes people. They hated it. Why wasn't the money used for the poor? Judas is a thief and cares nothing about the poor. He's using the veil and the mask of religion and and caring for the poor. But the reality is greed, not gratitude, is his treasure. It reminds me of what Jesus says in John 10. He talks about the hirelings and the thieves coming in to steal and to rob. I wonder if Jesus has in mind someone like Judas. Who knows? Judas's treasure bubbled to the surface. Tensions are mounting. Judas puts Mary in her place. How's Jesus going to respond to that? Is he just going to sit back and let that happen? Notice Jesus' reaction. Leave her alone. Jesus defends her. Jesus stands up for her in the face of Judas. Mercy and justice are priorities for our God. When we see our Christian friends standing up for injustice, we would do well to not immediately assume that our Christian friends have drunk the political Kool-Aid of the day. Perhaps they are simply trying to follow Jesus. Jesus continues... And he may mean keep the rest of the perfume for my burial. Or scholars also think that he might mean so that Mary may keep the memory of this action, this moment that he's had with Jesus. Or still other scholars say, leave her alone for she has saved the remaining perfume for the day of my burial. Scholars don't know exactly what to make of that cryptic Greek phrase. Here's the point. Jesus connects... Mary's extravagant devotion with his death and burial. And that's what we're supposed to get. Mary's extravagant devotion paves the way for every Christian church. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, says Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And even though... Even through the generosity of a friend, having received the gifts you sent, Paul writes in Philippians 4, that gift is a fragrant offering, a sacrificial, acceptable, and pleasing and pleasing to God. All of us as believers, we too will be a pleasing aroma poured out for our loved ones, poured out for our co-workers, poured out for our community. Mary is a beautiful picture of devotion and adoration. She gave Jesus exactly what she had. But even Mary's devotion, as beautiful as it is, was not enough. Jesus was the only one who was actually truly devoted to God. Jesus was dead set on pleasing his heavenly father and fulfilling the mission that his father had laid out for him. Jesus' entire life was a dedication to God and a pleasing aroma. That pleasing aroma was ultimately 
in his death and in his burial. And one day, his resurrection. Why would he die? He died to set our hearts free, friends, from all the loves and all the treasures that grip all of our hearts, that vie for our devotion. Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, says Paul in Ephesians 5.12. And only when we see Jesus pouring out his life on the cross of Calvary will we ever be driven to truly continue to pour out our lives into those around us. Only when we see Jesus being poured out as a sacrifice for us will we give our finest treasures to God and others. More than our devotion to God, we need to look to Jesus' devotion to his Father. Our devotion to him is simply a penny compared to the endowment of his devotion to his people. That he will keep his word. Even though our devotion is feeble. Even though our devotion is fickle. Even though our devotion is full of fits and starts. Jesus still loves it. He loves it. He loves it when we cry out to him, when we have nowhere else to turn. He loves it. He loves it when we don't clean up ourselves with a lot of spiritual mumbo jumbo. He loves it when we come with our questions and our concerns. He can't get enough of it. Will you give him what you have this morning? Who knows what God could do? This little dinner with his brothers and sisters in Christ is a foretaste of eternity. Eternity is described in Revelation 19, 19 as raising our glasses, embracing our friends, offering our devotion to our risen king. If you walk away with anything, I don't want you to walk away with, I'm not devoted enough to God. I want you to see that's why Jesus had to come. And Jesus was the only one who was truly devoted. And he stopped at nothing to bring us into his family and to change us and to animate our hearts to give and respond to his grace. So I just want to leave us with a few suggestions. Some of you might be thinking, that sounds great. What am I supposed to do now? Here's a few thoughts. What is your treasure? I'm not asking whether you're Presbyterian or Baptist. I'm not asking if you've ever opened the Bible before. I'm not asking if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. I am presupposing all of you have a treasure this morning, and so do I. What is your treasure? For Jesus says in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you love? What gives you the bulk of your time? What gives you, what do you daydream about? What do you can't wait to do after work or after your career? What gets your attention? Where are you investing your time and your financial resources? True life, true humanity is found 
when God is your treasure. I know for some of you who have not yet seen the wonder and you don't know that you believe that Jesus is God, that sounds like fairy tale mumbo jumbo. Our assumption is when God is at the center of our universe, that's when we actually come alive in our true humanity. That's when we, we know what it means to, to give to others, to care for our community, to love our neighbors, to, to even love our enemies. But it has to begin with God being at the center. I would love to talk with you more about that if you're at all interested. Anyone in this church would love to do that. Join us on that journey. So what is your treasure? That's the first thing. Secondly, what do you have? Mary brought what she had. In a room like this, we have children. We have middle school, high school, elementary school, college students. We have the full age range. The principle applies. College students and retired people are at different places in life. They have different bandwidths. They have different opportunities. But the principle still holds up. Give Jesus what you have. Give Jesus what you have. You could be a small business owner or a middle schooler. You could be working nights or working weekends. The principle still holds. It doesn't matter whether you just have a minute of devotion on the way to work or a, a moment of silent prayer as you're putting your head on your pillow at night. Give him what, he have. Give him what you have. Third, third element here. Not only what do you have, how do I get started? For some of you, it might simply begin by downloading an app on your phone where you can read a section of the Bible every day. That might be the next action step for you is I need to learn about Jesus. How do I do it? Download an app. There's one of them that I've really enjoyed called the Bible Recap. Check it out. There's a podcast where you can even get a little summary of what that Bible reading was. That might be a good step. For students, it might mean enjoying Jesus actually by protecting Sundays from your academics. That actually might be the next step for you. For others of you, it might mean sharing your gifts with others. Give them what you have. Don't compare your gifts to others. Rather, in response to the gracious work of Jesus Christ, let's pour out our lives, our imaginations, our hearts, and our time for the glory of our Savior and the good of our neighbor. God delights to receive our devotion no matter the amount. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to be the one that we can truly find life in. I pray that wherever my friends are this morning, whatever questions they have, whatever hardships and struggles, whatever burdens they are carrying, that even today they might have an opportunity to learn more about Jesus. Lord, we love you. Help us to follow you more closely this week than we did last week. In Jesus' name, amen.